0: Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode number 95, The Frugal Crafter, recorded on March twenty-sixth, two 2020. My name is Julie Fayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shubalzer.
1: Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. I know
0: that you went on an exciting errand to the mailbox today.
1: Yes, I went uh, out into the world I walked to the mailbox, I took out a carefully prepared napkin from my pocket to open the <laughs> mailbox and the mailbox wouldn't open. So I thought, okay, they're sealing off some mailboxes, but there's another one. I can see it down the road. I'll just go down there and of course it too was sealed. But I did get outside, breathed some air, got some sun, so it's all good.
0: So you just have to find the next mailbox, I guess.
1: Yes, I I I'm gonna have to get in my car to drive to it. I understand it totally. They may not have the manpower right now to 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 cover all the mail
0: pickup. Yeah,
1: right. Plus, it exposes the mailmen more. So
0: it's true. And so, I mean, obviously, we're in the midst of the coronavirus crisis as we're recording this podcast, and so it's the perfect time. Obviously, as you know, since you're listening to listen to a podcast, it's also the perfect time to take an online class. Um, My free online class, the two-week art journal, is still available to you at any time. I also have a new online class, which is uh, also a two-week art journal, but this time it's focusing on working with a limited palette. Um, And of course, there's the membership where you get uh, more fun, more connection, more ideas, more creativity, all for the price of a cup of fancy coffee, just $5.99 a month. So you can check all of that out at BalzerDesigns.com. And as as always, if you'd like to help the show grow, please post about this episode on social media and let other people know just how awesome it is. And if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, well, welcome to our guest, Lindsay Weirich. Now, have I said your last name correctly or incorrectly, Lindsay?
2: You got really close. It's (laughs) Weirich and it's a doozy.
0: Okay, got it there. So Lindsay is... An amazing YouTuber, I have to say, first of all, uh, with almost half a million subscribers, and some of her videos have more than a million views. She is a multimedia artist living and working in Maine. Her artwork and craft tutorials have been published in dozens of books and magazines. She has illustrated two children's books. She teaches online classes and runs a popular blog. Um, And all of this is under the Frugal Crafter title, which is also the title of this episode. And she has literally thousands of free projects and video tutorials on the subject of painting crafting and card making and interestingly which i didn't know until i read her bio um Lindsay, before jumping into online teaching she ran the art studio of Bangor, or do you say bangor i always get it mixed up my my uh partner is from maine and he always corrects me but i can't remember which way he corrects me Bangor, Bangor. There you go. Yeah, and taught watercolor, <laughs> drawing, oil painting, and mixed media to students of all ages. So welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to someone I'm not related to. <laughs> <laughs> the outbreak. <laughs> it's the cabin fever. Oh, um, yeah. So, Lindsay, I mean, you're. Let's start sort of at the beginning of where I found you many, many, many years ago on YouTube, because you are not kidding when you say you have thousands of videos under the frugal crafter will you tell us a little bit about your youtube empire oh
2: sure um i got on youtube 10 years ago actually just had my 10-year youtube anniversary um last month and um, the reason I joined YouTube was because I had a blog and it was taking me hours to put up a blog post with all the instructions like typing instructions and all the photographs and I thought man it would just be so much easier if I could show people and I was too cheap to buy the video upgrade package for my blog and I was like what can I how can I put videos up for free and I found YouTube and I figured YouTube was just you know some site for derelicts to show who knows what but it was free so I decided I would use it and embed my stuff on my blog and then I noticed I was getting comments on YouTube and then there was a whole like community of crafters over there. Um, And so it just kind of grew from there uh, because YouTube once you know you like something it recommends more. Um, So the people that were watching craft videos were finding my videos and it just grew into a wonderful community.
0: So when you started making videos and I assume you get this question all the time because I do too like what kind of setup did you have?
2: Oh, boy. I think I had some cardboard boxes and a Canon PowerShot camera sitting on top of them, balanced precariously, aimed in the general direction of where I was working. And uh, it had a microphone that made me sound like I had a lisp, but it was (laughs) (laughs) was what I had. And that's what I did like my first 200 videos on.
0: And, And people love them because the content was there.
2: I think so. I think people just, you know, they wanted to learn and it was so novel at the time. And, um, you know, yeah, it was just it was it was fun. It was fun to learn new techniques. People didn't really care so much about how, you know, high definition the videos were or well lit or anything. It was just kind of the Wild West and anything goes really.
0: I was going to say it reminds me a little bit of like when I watch movies with old CGI that I thought was mind-blowing at the time and now looks ridiculously terrible. (laughs) And you think, oh, it's just because your standards have changed because you've gotten used to it, you know. Now it seems like it has to be – you have to have like a really fancy HD camera and your equipment has to be right and your – you know, the uh, audio has to be super clear and the lighting has to be perfect and everything has to be styled perfectly.
1: Actually, oh, something editing. like that is happening right now during this coronavirus uh, uh, thing because people are loving seeing other people's uh, transmissions from their phones. And you so they don't may not have a lot of equipment in their houses, but there's this real life person doing something, saying something, playing something. And so people are lowering their standards for what they're watching because they're just so thrilled to see something on the web. Oh yeah, I was I mentioned that to my
2: husband the other day. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that news reporter guy looks like an actual guy. He doesn't look so perfect and pretty like he does on the when he's in studio. He looks like an actual person uh, I mean- <laughs>
1: broadcasting from his living room. It's like, wow, that's kind of cool." And just as another aside, aren't you liking looking at everybody's house? Yes. <laughs>
0: It's true. It is the best, like, you know, HGTV peeping in the world where you get to, like, take a peek inside what everybody's living room looks like. It's been really interesting to see all the newscasters inside their houses.
2: Yeah, I saw Kelly rip his closet from live with a... With Kelly, yeah, it was like all she had this like tropical painting behind her. It actually was quite chic, but she said she had just like found it in the basement of her apartment building and she put it like to kind of make a little set area, I think, in one of her closets so she could they could do their broadcast. And her co host Ryan Seacrest was in LA, so they were really, you know, staying at home far apart. It was yeah. very interesting. I was
0: gonna say, I've actually heard a lot of people are broadcasting from their closets. It seems to be a very popular choice, I think, because it's a small room that you can control the audio.
2: Yeah, and your kids are probably running around so you can shut the door and maybe shut a couple doors between you and your kids and get a little buffer.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your your, your more sophisticated, I assume, setup nowadays where uh, you film all your YouTube videos and stuff. Do you have like a backdrop area that you use? Is it your actual work table? Do you have like a whole lighting setup?
2: Yeah, it's it's actually where I work. Um, I work in an unfinished basement. Um, and so the joists are exposed, which is wonderful because I can clip on those um, aluminum lights that you'd find at the hardware store. They're like um, they look like an aluminum cone and then I put daylight CFL bulbs in there or daylight LED bulbs so I get that uh, natural white light because there's no windows so I have complete control over all the lighting and that way I can move the lights around depending on what I'm doing so I have a large kind of like island that I made with an old hollow core door and um, you know those three by three cubbies you can find at any like Home Depot or Target they're they're kind of like knockoff Ikea yeah yeah Calyx things. Well, they're like 36 inches high, so I took two of those to make the legs of my island, and I put a old door that came off one of our closets um, over the top of it. And then I've got storage, and I've got this island, and I've got two mounts over the island. So depending on where I'm working, I can put my camera on either of them. They're honestly a stick that my husband screwed to one of the joists, so it would be sturdy. And then it's got a like a thumb screw that fits the size of my camera mount. That I just screw my camera onto, so it's facing um, right side up over my workspace, so I don't have to flip the uh, video in the computer because there's such large files that um, now the cameras have gotten so much better that it's such a lot of information to flip. So I like to record right side up, and or I don't know if you if I, if I'm explaining myself well, yeah, but
0: totally makes sense.
2: Okay. And uh, and that's where I do, like, my messier, bigger projects. And then I've got another stick screwed to the ceiling over my kind of sit-down area where I'll do watercolor or marker coloring or smaller projects uh, like that where I don't need to move around so much. And I have a three-point lighting system over where I sit and record. And I have a um, – I, I recently – my husband built me a little – angled it's not really an easel but it's just kind of like an angled board that I could work on so I wouldn't get so much glare on my watercolor palette or on my stamping blocks if I was stamping because I would get like just reflections of the lighting and so that helped quite a bit to reduce the glare and if you have like a wet background you know a watercolor background it just shines and you can't see the color at all so that really helped alleviate that problem how do you paint
0: not to run on an angled background if you're very... working with watercolor
2: it's very shallow. I'd say the back of it is probably only two inches higher than the front of it. Um. And, um, yeah. And if it really is a wet into wet background, what I'll do is I'll just put a block under the front of the, uh, the board just so it levels it out. But, um, it's generally not enough of a, of an angle to affect too much unless I had the really, really wet background, but it's great if you're doing a controlled wash and you need to keep that bead of color, like at the bottom where you're working. Yeah. It's, um, It worked out really well and did alleviate the glare problem. And that's usually only on the first uh, layer of a painting anyway that you would have it really wet into wet. After that, you'd be doing glazes and those are much easier to control how much you, you know, how shiny it is. It's not that much. Um, well, you not know that what I paint.
0: love hearing about this setup is it's so true. I mean, I, and I, I I'm so true to your brand, so to speak, which is, you know, your brand is the frugal crafter, which, uh, which I think speaks for itself what it's about and everything you're talking about in your setup is, you know, it's not like, oh, I bought this really fancy equipment here and I have this professional, you know, stand over there. It's like, this is how we made it out of stuff that we had and it's all from the hardware store and it's easy.
2: Oh, absolutely. And the best thing about the um, the lighting system, because if you have the professional lights, which I actually do have a set of uh, portable professional lights, but the stands are so bulky, it's, I'm kind of klutzy and I will trip over the stands. So, and it just... It totally ruins the feng shui of my studio, my, you know, fancy studio that's in the unfinished basement. Um, but if I have those clip lights on the ceiling, I don't have to worry about cords or tripping about tripping on anything. The light's just as good. You can't tell the difference between a light and a, you know, $8 Home Depot clip-on light and a $50, you know, umbrella light stand light it's the same bulb you just put it in whatever is most convenient whatever you can afford and often the cheaper solutions work just as well if not better
0: so let's talk about the frugal crafter that's uh where sort of did that idea come from for you
2: okay well when um before i was i started teaching um art in my downtown studio and that was wonderful and I had my first child and he came to work with me I had a, a woman that would babysit him when I was teaching and um, then my husband would pick him up after he got out of work and I would teach my night classes because you know the classes would have to revolve around when kids and parents were available to take them so it would be mostly like late afternoon and, and evening so it worked out pretty well and then I got pregnant with twins um, about a year and a half later and it was a second Floor walk-up studio and it was just too much and uh, I decided I would close the studio down and be home with my kids and um, I wanted to keep creating I felt like I still needed that creative well you've got a baby now you know you still feel the need to have something of yourself outside of upbringing your children and um, I just needed that creative outlet and i was seeing people with these really creative scrapbooking pages and magazines and i wanted i wanted the company of other women and so i um showed up at a scrapbooking night one night and just started scrapbooking and this is actually before i closed my studio when my son was little and i found the camaraderie of these other women to be so wonderful and so different than the um like hanging out with other artists i found that when I would hang out with other artists, as soon as they found out you were a mom, it was almost like, um, I don't want to say this and discourage you because you're you're a mom. You might, I, I, maybe it's probably just a main thing. I was I just kind of felt like they kind of looked down at you a little bit as like, well, oh, you do crafts too and uh, you're a mom? Well, you're not a, you know, I don't know. You're not a free will and fun artist. I, I don't know. It just felt like there was some sort of... Um, presumption there and there was no presumption you walked into a scrapbooking crop and everyone was like welcoming with open arms and oh you did that show me how you did that or you want to borrow this you want to borrow that here you can borrow mine you know it was just such a loving and embracing community and then i found these magazines and i was like i wonder if i could design projects for these magazines and um so i started submitting projects and i said i'll give it a year if nothing comes of it then that's fine i gave it my best and i'll just move on and it was like on the 11th month i got a project accepted into bead trend magazine. And then I was like, okay, maybe I can do that. It gave me a confidence boost. But of course, there's a lot more submitting than actually accepting. And then eventually I thought, you know what, if I'm just going to be doing all this work, I I might as well do it on my own platform, you know, and then nobody can tell me no, that, you know, it's not good enough. I'm just going to put it out there. And that's how I started my blog. And um, and I've forgotten the question already, Julie. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were talking about Frugal Crafter, but I just want to say that I have also personally found it very interesting that in most places that I've gone, when you go to a scrapbooking event, people are so warm and welcoming. When you go to a crafting event, people, again, like, want to share, want to know more. And when you get into some more sort of fine art things, I find people to be mostly unfriendly, which I don't understand why, because I think it's the same people in many ways but there there is something to me that is uh warm about craft and I actually think it's something that we see in the quilting world which is the modern quilt movement which is many people have considered uh sort of like crafty quilters at first but they it's moving another direction but that has always been a very friendly group in a way that some of the art quilting groups have always been a much more standoffish group and I don't know why that is
2: I think that maybe people feel maybe a little insecure or they feel like they need to, you know, defend their ground or state their claim or they're worried that somebody's going to not understand their art and judge them. Uh, It just almost feels like it comes from a sense of insecurity because once you it seems like once you meet an artist and they get over that kind of like standoffishness, they're very friendly and exciting or excitable and and warm and welcoming. But I think I don't know if it's a it's a bit of like um, insecurity. Is this person going to get me? You know, where you almost feel like if you're if you're walking into a crafting situation, it's it's almost got a feeling like everyone can do this and everyone is welcome. And here are the supplies and have fun. There's lower stakes, maybe. Yeah, or maybe. people, Yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know what it is either. I wish I could solve it, but I think it is it is good to think of it as maybe people are insecure and so they become unfriendly somehow. And then that, that allows some space for you to uh, know that if you can make them feel comfortable and secure, then they will be perfectly friendly yeah
2: yeah I think that's that's what it is I actually met this um this woman I was uh in the sauna because well now the gym's closed but I was uh waiting I was early for my swimming class and um so I was in the sauna and I met this woman who was around my age which is odd because when I go to the gym it's usually like the retirees time and um so I started chatting and and uh I could ask her what she was doing she was doing a class and I was oh have you tried this one and and she's like oh, I'm a, I'm a uh, visual artist, so I can come here when, like, during the day when the time's off. I'm like, no kidding, me too, you know. And <laughs> but like at first she kind of seemed a little bit like, you know, standoffish. But I can be a little overwhelming, but then very friendly, <laughs> you know. What <when> she. <laughs> I'm the crazy woman in the sauna. It's just like a two-person sauna too, so I'm sure I was very overwhelming in that small little space. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny. And then of course, you know, I looked her up online. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's pretty good. Then I was a little intimidated. I'm like, oh, she's gonna look at my blog and be like, what's this chick doing? She's putting alcohol ink on a watercolor palette. Thus, she's not a real artist. (laughs) But you know, yeah, you never know. Well, I but oh, the Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just
0: going to say, I think like, you know, you just said that thing about like, she's not a real artist. Like, I think that is a thing that is something that many people talk about, about like, what's a real artist versus a not real artist. Are you a real artist if you sell your work? Are you a real artist if you're in a museum? Are you a real artist if you, you know, whatever else it's, it just reminds me of, I had a conversation with a woman who um, sells a ton of work. I mean, she makes a a fantastic living just selling her paintings. But she was told recently by someone and she agreed with them that her work was never going to be in a museum and it was never going to be like, you know, uh, taken in that way because her work was decorative, um, which Mm. is a whole other conversation about why we don't value decorative art the same as, you know, statements or political or whatever. But anyway, um, so... And the question is, like, are you a – so she was having this whole existential breakdown about, like, are you a real artist if your work is never going to be in a museum? It's But, you know, she has t- hundreds of people who buy her art, of collectors who love it, you know, and it's certainly, uh, you know, uh, I think beautiful. So it, it becomes this whole thing about – I think everybody has the question about, like, oh, I'll be a real artist when I – but what is that when I, you know? Yeah,
2: that's so difficult, and I I feel like the um the kind of um, point of being a quote unquote real artist is ever evolving, and it also depends on who you ask because there's I I just watched a documentary. I wish I remembered what the name of it was, but it was talking about how um like the art or quote unquote real art that you know the ones that go for you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, how the art isn't actually valued for the art until. It's bought and sold once, and that's how the value is established. The value is not established by the artist and what the artist has to say or the quality of the work or the time spent on it or the training of the artist, and it just seemed very arbitrary. So I I don't know. It's um, I think if your work achieves the goal that you put – into it if you're if you're doing political art and your goal is to raise awareness for something and it does that then you're an artist and you've communicated those things if your art is to bring joy to people um like your your friend that that had the decorative work who who said she wasn't a real artist or wasn't going to be in a museum if her work brought joy and happiness and influenced people you know in a positive way i mean if that's her goal then she's an artist fulfilling her goal i think you know you could almost say that nobody that's had a had a relatively um pleasant life could be a real artist because they haven't had the hardships and the um you know the trials and tribulations that people that are creating more political or powerful or you know visceral art are doing but it doesn't mean their experience isn't valid so so i don't know i don't know it's it's definitely uh one of those questions that doesn't really
1: seem to have an answer it's, i also think that the issue of money is part of the part of the measuring because Mm. if you earn a lot of money from your art then people are more likely to say oh you're a real artist i mean a lot if you go to the victoria and albert museum for example in london there's gorgeous stuff that was intended to be decorative originally um so the word decorative is kind of like a it is, but we don't
0: call those people artists. We either call them artisans or we say these craftspeople made this. Like when things are decorative, we don't call them artists.
1: I think there's, um, well, so if you print a print of a soup can, you are not an artist. Well, I mean, if
0: you're Andy Warhol, you are because you're making some kind of statement. But if I do it, I'm not. And I think the same is true. Like uh, we there was an M.C. Escher exhibit at the MFA recently. And one of the big things is that he was not considered an artist in his lifetime at all. He was just he was a printmaker. He was an illustrator. He was a doodler guy, but he was not considered an artist.
2: I think time time pushes people into the realm of artists because if you look at any famous past artist, their work was often propaganda for either a religious organization or, um, you know, some big benefactor who paid them to create specific images. You know, maybe they were seen as, you know, decorative back then or just, you know, graphic artists back then. I mean, time I kind of thinking, pushes yeah. you.
1: Yeah. There's a cultural element too. if you look at there's art, for example, that's in various museums now from other cultures, and people are changing their standards of the way they call it art or of the way they analyze it when in fact- fe- and there's a way that Western culture values art where you have to uh you have to follow in a tradition or you have to know the artist's background or you have to i mean there's just a whole there's a whole group of ideas about what is art that is actually very traditional but people are breaking out from that i mean the the whole news uh it's not really new but the idea of folk art and then for uh you know artists who haven't been schooled, outsider art. There's all kinds of people who are willing to look at things now and say, that is art because it makes me think or feel a certain way because it isn't just a random collection of dots or things. I think the idea is that the artist started maybe as an artisan and then the whole concept became kind of sacred. The artist is like this magical human being who lives on another planet. And now I think we're starting to recognize that it that isn't so, you know? The artist is a person, a human being who has a life experience and has certain things available to them and out of it, they can communicate to you through what they're putting together. To me, that's can be artistic and that can be an artist.
0: I think the one of the things that I always tell people and encourage people about is I say, I think too often we let other people define uh, what we are or who we are, you know, and sometimes you just have to say, you have to declare it for yourself. And I think, you know, it's like so many things. Just because a doctor, if a doctor went to work for, you know, an organization where they weren't making a lot of money, like Doctors Without Borders or something, would we say they're a lesser doctor than a dermatologist in private practice who, you know, makes tons and tons of money? No, it's a different style of doctor, you know. It's a person who's interested in doctoring in a different way but they're still a doctor. And so I think the same thing has to be true of the definition of artist, which is we have to open it up and say like, that's a self, def- you self-define yourself as an artist. Now, whether you were a, you know, a decorative painter or a political artist or a whatever, like that's, that's a separate issue. But I think the category of artists needs to just be opened up a little bit so that we're not saying you are and you aren't and, you know, let people define for themselves.
2: I agree, yeah, definitely.
0: So uh, so getting back for just a second, because you did choose the name The Frugal Crafter and you had been teaching what sounds like more like fine art classes before that, why did you pick the word crafter um, as part of your brand as opposed to art?
2: Well, for a couple of reasons. For one, I thought it was much more all-encompassing and much more um, welcoming. And because I had been doing a lot of, you know, trying to kind of get into these craft magazines because I didn't. Really, I didn't know anybody who had, I, honestly, I didn't really know many people with a successful kind of freelance career. And um, I knew a few artists, but they were, um, you know, they were painting in studio and then most of them were kind of were in retired age and they were almost didn't have to rely on it um, or they taught. And well, I'd already done the teaching and that worked out well, but my time wasn't my own anymore. So I thought, I bet I could open up to more crafters. I think there would be more crafters out there than more artists out there. It's kind of like you can go to the craft store and find tons of craft supplies, but it's hard to find art supplies. You know, there's just more crafters and artists because more people open up to that definition of crafter and are comfortable with calling themselves a crafter. So I thought that having a... um having that as the name of my blog the frugal crafter would invite more people in and people would also realize that well i don't have to have a lot of money i don't have to you know be able to afford to go spend a hundred dollars every week on supplies i don't have to be able to afford a fancy die cutting machine or um you know 12 a yard quilting fabric or you know i can make do with what i have and i also thought that it would be cool to because I'm I'm always very interested in doing things I'm absolutely not qualified to do and I thought I want to write a book and I want to put all these crafty recipes that I have developed over the years because as a teacher I was teaching younger kids a lot of times I came up with you know cheaper ways to make things so I could kind of give more to my students let them experience more and play with more like you know making paste paper or making modeling paste out of um you know spackling or latex caulking and let them scrape it over stuff stencils and just kind of mold within play and you know different ways to find cheaper products so you know the kids can have more fun and I just thought that that would be really useful and a great reference for teachers and parents and artists to have and crafters to have like oh you're out of ink here's how you can make your own ink to re-ink your ink pad you want some fabric spray here's what you mix to make your fabric spray you know just different things like that and actually did pitch it to um an editor that i knew that worked at a magazine that also published some craft books and she said the idea was way too broad and nobody would ever would ever go for it and i thought well i'm gonna put it on my blog and people can come and it for free then and <laughs> that's what it's gonna be and uh so that's that's how that started so kind of like a rejection really because because i'm motivated out of spite basically a rejection you know just completely launched my uh, my blog and youtube channel
0: i find that fascinating that the uh, that the editor thought that the idea was too broad because most of the time with books they're looking for things that are broader rather than narrower
2: I know. I'm thinking that's the book that I would love to have. I would love to have this book where I'm like, oh, shoot, I need some envelope glue. What do I do? Or I ran out of, you know, starch. What can I use? You know, or stuff like that, just so I could not have to run to the store because I live in rural Maine. And if I need a glue stick, that's an hour out of my day to go to the nearest town, find a glue stick and come back. And it's I need versatile products that um, so I don't have to stop creating. You know, time is of the essence, especially when you have young children and you're trying to create during a nap time or when they're at school or, um, you know, after they go to bed, you, you got to be efficient. You got to be frugal with your time as well as with your money and your supplies.
0: It's true. I will say we, we've talked about this a couple times, but like the biggest lesson that I think parenting teaches most artists is work fast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's t- take a sort of step back even further and say, like, how did you become – how did you learn about all these things about the ways to do all that stuff? How did you become interested in teaching art? Like, where did all of that come from? Did you know from when you were really little that you were creative?
2: Oh yeah, um, it was always my plan to be an artist. My parents, however, had different um, expectations, but um, they did see that I had a um, a lot of energy and a lot of interest in art. And luckily across the cornfield, now this is really rural, across the cornfield lived a wonderful watercolorist named Pauline Turner. She actually still lives across the cornfield from my parents' house. And she taught classes to children and adults, but mainly children. And um, she took me on when I was five for drawing. and. I remember getting my first box of Prismacolor colored pencils. They're still my favorite Prismacolor pencils, and um, and I started uh, with her drawing classes. And then when I was seven, I started in her with her watercolor classes and studied with her until I was thirteen. And um, then I just kind of did my own thing because I think I was getting to be kind of like a headstrong teenager and probably. I probably drove her a little nuts. I don't know, but, um, then I just kind of did my own thing. And when it came time to cut for college, I think my father thought I would be an architect cause he was a, a building contractor. Uh, but I had no interest in, um, in straight lines and precise things. And so I went to broadcasting school and became a DJ for a few years and, um, started teaching part time. Cause I saw an ad, a want ad in the paper that said artist wanted, and I called up the number and, and, uh, I happened to teach for the person that owned the art studios of Bangor, and then she um, decided she wasn't interested in running the business anymore, and that's how I came to take it over.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's well, I mean, your journey captures, I think, what a lot of people's journeys do, which is that it's random. You know, it's yes. it's not it's rarely a planned from the beginning, step by step, hurdle by hurdle, knocking down a to do list. A lot of it is sort of just it is what it is.
2: Yeah. And I wonder if I had because I always wonder, it's like if I had went to art school, would I be further ahead? Would I had know some secret sauce to having this um, fabulous career? But, you know, I think I, I think my calling is more teaching. It's more, you know, helping people um get that expression out of themselves i enjoy the technical aspect technical aspect of art but i really enjoy sharing and teaching and i mean i enjoy my quiet time where i'm just working on my own thing but i'm definitely really motivated to share with others and then get that feedback um you know from students and um you know viewers on youtube and my blog and stuff i find that feedback very um motivating and um, I have to just be careful not to let it be too addictive because it can be very disappointing if you, if you're expecting it or you're, you know, counting on it and, and you don't get the, the feedback that you're hoping for or any feedback, it can be very discouraging. So you have to be careful not to count on that too much. But, um, but I definitely think that that would be probably my column more than just being, um. I don't say just because I think the the pinnacle everybody wants to be a studio artist living above a cafe in Paris and having people spend thousands <laughs> of dollars on their paintings. But um but I think I definitely have more of um a, a leaning towards a, the educational aspect of it.
0: Well, so speaking of uh, feedback, I, I wanna ask you about a fascinating page on your blog, which is called Requests. Oh <laughs> so there is a page on your blog that must have hundreds of people's requests for videos yeah it's so just talk to me for people who've never visited just tell me like how did that get started and do you actually make videos based on these some are very specific projects that people are working on
2: yeah, that that got out of hand. The request page has gotten a little out of hand. But um, but the reason why I started it was because on every video video and every blog post, I would have somebody asking me, can you do this? Can you do that? And I just couldn't keep track of it all. I try I would try to write the ideas on post-it notes and, you know, keep them in a notebook or a planner and it just got out of hand. So I said, we'll put them on the, the request page. And then um, if I needed an idea, I would go to the request page. Generally, people re- will request things that I've already done. So on that request page, I show people how to use the search bar on YouTube so they can search it or the search bar on my blog so they can see if I've done it already. And a lot of times requests are things that I've already done. Um, By the way, I find
0: that too. It's always staggering to me how many people request things that you've already done and even sometimes done multiple times.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I always search first because I find it so (laughs) – so annoying when like it's like i've done
0: three videos on that
2: you know it's like just search it first takes like two seconds and then uh by the way your your youtube channel is like the best resource for the skin and cut every problem i've had with my skin and cut i have solved it on your channel oh
0: i'm so glad to hear that
2: cleaning the scanner glass man cleaning the (laughs) scanner glass everyone should know how to clean the scanner glass i agree i agree yeah best tip ever um so sometimes, so, okay, so I have a radio background and people call would call all the time with requests. And, you know, as my my husband just recently retired from radio to work in my business, but um, he would go, he goes, just because you take requests doesn't mean you got to play up like that. So I get a lot of ideas from there, but, you know, and people can put the requests down. I don't guarantee that I'll get to them, but um, but oftentimes it might spark something. like if I, if I have three or four people, just like if I had three or four people asking me to play, um, you know, something from Faith Hill, I would know, okay, that's popular. I'll be in a place of Faith Hill. Um, but just like I know I've got like 10 people asking me to use a new alcohol pearls. Well, I'd better get me some of those and use those because people are interested in that. Um, it really helps me define what reviews I'm going to do because um, you probably get this a lot. Brands emailing you and asking to send you product to review. And some things you're just not interested in or some things you just – they're just um, – you just don't want your channel to be overtaken by – companies asking you for promotion so if I know 10 people want to see the new Altenew watercolor set and you know I get an email from them I'm like oh yeah people were interested in that it kind of keeps a bug in my ear so if um if I know people are interested in a certain topic and I get the opportunity to try this or uh, maybe somebody or people are all mentioning like a potential Particular supply or machine I've never heard of before it kind of brings it to my awareness and then I'll be like oh yeah 25 people wanted that then I can you know go buy it or um, borrow it or something like that so I can get that content out there so I don't do every request but it's I definitely um, it helps me notice when there's a trend that my viewers are interested in so I hope that answered your question I'm not sure
0: it does I mean I think I think it, it's the request page on your blog to me is fascinating just because I find that uh, I find it overwhelming, you know, but I think you have a really good attitude just in terms of like, I can't answer every question, but it's a place that I go for ideas. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get a lot of email too.
2: Yeah, I get quite a bit. Um, And a lot of times it's like, can you, can you review this product? Um, Or, you know, some, usually people don't email me with a specific, like, can you critique this painting? Because I did. uh, And I used to get, um, I'm, I'm very, I I always miss things on social media. I try to limit how much time um, I'm on social media and I don't always see if somebody tags um, like the frugal crafter. I won't sometimes I see it and sometimes I don't, I don't know. I'm not very good at, you know, social media. Um, So I started something in my online school called critique club and it's basically, it's, um, it's a month, monthly membership thing where I put uh, I put up a prompt for the month. People can submit two paintings that they're working on for an in-depth critique. And I also put two uh, kind of more advanced, long, real-time tutorials in there. I do a feature called Sketchbook Sunday, which is whatever I feel like working on for my own personal growth. Um, and I do it in a time lapse on YouTube because, you know, people can't be watching a two-hour video on YouTube. They're not, <laughs> like, down for that. Um, but there are some people that are down for that, and they will, they'll join critique clubs so they can, you know, watch those longer those longer tutorials and also get feedback. But I find that most people that want that do join the critique club so they can kind of get I don't even think it's handholding because I think it tends to be people that are a little bit more like, I really want to learn. I don't just want to be entertained because, and that's fine too. A lot of people just watch, um, you know, YouTube time-lapse or tutorial, like a quick and easy video. They want to be entertained. They don't, they have no intention of doing that. That's why all those Troom Troom and five minute craft videos exist because, you know, obviously a lot of these things do not work, but it's entertaining to watch for five minutes and then you go about your day. But,
0: um, I, Let's talk about Critique Club for just one second. Oh, sure. So, just because I'm interested, when you're critiquing people, um, how I guess I'm I guess I'm wondering is it like an art school critique, which I think of as sort of rather vicious? Is it a you could use more red here conversation, or are you asking them what kind of feedback they're looking for? Like, what kind of critique would somebody expect if they joined Critique Club?
2: Sure. Um, Generally, when somebody posts something, they'll they'll mention what they're struggling with or um, they they'll they might guide me a little bit of what they are what they're trying to do or if they're not happy with it or if they are happy with it. And you do start to build relationships with the regulars because some people join just for the longer tutorials and they don't post anything. Um, But you do definitely do start to get you get a feel for how much critique they want. But um, I kind of think of it as a sandwich. I start off with what I love about the painting. Then I go to what could be improved about the painting. And then I follow up with um, like how it all works together and, you know, keep at it. Or you might want to, it would be easier to start it over, but it's it's not vicious. It's definitely, um, I'm trying to be a coach and a cheerleader, but I'm not going to be, you know, some meanie who's just going to be like, that stinks, you know, just, you know, that's bad, and that's bad, and that's bad. I try to be very constructive, like, you know, the overall um, composition is good, uh, the values need, it's a lot of times it's the values, um, you know, they need just like a stronger contrast or something. It's, it's um you know, art subjective. So I just, it's more of a technical critique, or if there does, if they're trying to like, maybe put some ideas together that don't seem to be... Um, Uh, very cohesive or they don't seem to be gelling you know it's it's I'll try to guide them along that way but we've got a very diverse group of artists we've got a, a quilt artist that's she just she paints on fabric and then she quilts it it's stunning um we've got all different mediums from painting to drawing I just try I try to be positive but I definitely want to be a coach as well and help them improve because that's the goal but never in a mean-spirited way never in um never in a way where somebody would feel ashamed to post something and I think sometimes with art school critiques um there's almost a little bit of um of an edge that would almost make a student feel ashamed for even showing and i don't want ever to have that sort of vibe in the critique club
1: Mm. julie this reminds me of when you were um running a theater company in new york and people who were workshopping new plays would come and then after a public reading uh you would sit around in a circle and you had certain rules for the critique and, you know, they were good rules. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, which is I
0: think critique is enormously valuable and not just for the person who's receiving the critique. I actually think it's a really great tool for people to give the critique. I think I have learned a lot about art in the time periods when I have been part of a critique group. Um, So uh, for instance that I will give you is when I first started scrapbooking and I wanted to get into a magazine and I couldn't figure out why my work wasn't in a magazine, I joined an online critique group and through critiquing other people's work, I suddenly started to understand why my pages didn't work, why they weren't graphic enough, why it wasn't, you know, sort of all those kinds of things. Because I had to think about what I liked or didn't like about their piece. And this is what I often tell my students, which is you have to be able to verbalize things in order to be able to fix them. And so if you learn how to critique other people's work, you actually learn how to critique your own work, which is very powerful. Um, But when I ran this theater company in New York, we had a bunch of rules about critique because I think um, it is a natural thing to get defensive even when people are being kind. Because nobody wants to hear that something they've been working on, you know what I mean, has a problem. You just don't, even if you know it has a problem. It just, it still hurts. So one of the things that we always used to say is you cannot speak during the feedback, the person who's receiving the critique. You need to just listen. And the reason for that is because if you can speak and retort or speak back to what people are saying, then instead of listening, you're forming a thought or a defense, Whereas if you just are taking things in and taking notes, then you're just taking it in. Now, everybody has an opinion. You don't have to take it. It's just like you said, Lindsay, before. Like, if you can take requests. You don't have to play them, right? right? And so I think that was a huge thing. The other thing is we always used to say make I statements. You can't say, like, well, we all looked at this. You're not speaking for everyone. You're speaking for yourself. I felt, I you know, saw, I noticed, whatever that is take responsibility for your critique if you are criticizing um, somebody else's work. And then uh, another rule that we had is that you can't make suggestions like, um, you can't make suggestions that don't have a landing spot. Meaning you couldn't say to somebody like, I feel like it should be funnier. Because that's that's not helpful (laughs)
2: Mm. in any
0: way, shape or form. But to say something like, I was confused by the tone of the play. In some places it seemed like it was a comedy and in other places it seemed like it was a drama and it felt a little uneven tone wise because that's something then somebody can address, right? They can say, do I wanna go towards funny or do I wanna go to drama? Do I see the tone issue that you're talking about? And so I think the same thing is true when you're criticizing somebody else's artwork and trying to help them, right? Is that you need to find that way to say, You can't just say, you know, this is, uh, this is ugly or, (laughs) you know, this doesn't work. What a mess. Right. What, you know, what a total mess this is, is you need to find the way to say, uh, I feel like it's off balance and I'm not, I'm unclear whether that's a purposeful choice to make it off balance, you know, or like you were saying Mm -hmm. about the... Uh, you know, often it's an issue of people don't have the right sort of grayscale issues when they're, you know, cause they're letting color do the work instead. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I-, I think those are useful things they can tell somebody cause then there's something that they can go and work on as opposed to sort of just like a mystical thought of like, and eh, it doesn't really work for me, but why? Yeah. And I think yeah, one I think of the things, things specific- that you, I'm oh, sorry, I was going to say one of the things you do in your tutorials so well is that you get down to the really practical letting people accomplish the project project issues, which as you were saying in those really cute like two or five minute bite videos or blog posts, you can't ever really recreate the project based on those. It's impossible.
2: Hmm yeah um absolutely I, I think um i think being specific with with a critique is very helpful and you have also a lot of the people they're start everyone's starting at a different point so you have to critique but not compare um if someone's coming in and you can see that they've probably only been painting for a couple of months but they're just so into it and they just want to improve so bad you know you definitely don't want to be uh, doing anything that's going to crush that delicate flower of their creativity you've got to kind of water it and nurture it and you know to, to kind of guide them with some specific steps that they can take to improve without overwhelming them or being abstract at all um and it can be a little tricky if you don't know exactly what they're aiming for but um uh, but it's nobody has nobody has complained the only the only uh, complaint i ever got was someone emailed me and and uh and excited made a comment of 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 uh something like your art is more than just a pretty picture you've got something else to say behind it and they thought it was a little bit uh they thought it it uh like they say why can't art just be a pretty picture you know they they thought that it might put people off and offend people that want to do more decorative art which it wasn't my intention at all it's like if you're painting that that bouquet of flowers you see something in that that maybe i don't see you need to you know show that beauty and show other people what you see in that because i've seen people paint a roll of toilet paper and it's gorgeous i never would have thought to to paint a roll of toilet paper or James Gurney will paint a snowbank in a in a parking lot and it's stunning, you know. And I could go paint something picturesque and gouache and it's like, meh, but that snowbank in a parking lot that he just painted on like in plain air on YouTube was gorgeous. So, you know, he saw the beauty and he sent the beauty, showed the beauty to others. So yeah, it's it's so it's so subjective, but there's definitely, you know, if you go by technical aspects, there are ways to improve. And you just I I think as long as you're gentle and you're honest. Um, your students will respect you and they'll take what you say to heart and not be, uh, not be hurt by it.
0: I think that's very true. I think being, uh, I think teaching to people where they're at is really Mm -hmm. important. I think that's really important. Um, mom, do you have other thoughts?
1: No, um, I was just thinking that in general in life, it's much better to be very specific, while being kind when you're critiquing anybody about anything nobody's going to hear you if you just say well you're a horrible person you always (laughs) do everything wrong you know but if you have something specific they're much more likely to hear you I agree yeah and a lot of times
2: they'll be like oh I never thought of that never that never occurred to me it's like maybe they they are paying a really heavy line somewhere or they're a lot of times it might just be if they're a beginner they don't know it's like they're getting these these dry brush effects and they just don't know they need more paint on their brush or they need to you know pre-wet their brush before they you know dip it in some ink to keep that line flowing or they need to use a liner brush instead of a a round brush to do a certain technique and it's just that they've never you know they're they're new and they and they didn't know and then um you know you've given them the proper tool to you know to get the job done and um yeah a lot of times just like oh never thought of that i when i get critiqued i'm I love it when it's like, oh, I never thought of that. That's a great idea, you know.
1: Or you can just say, well, you'll never be Leonardo.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I think that uh, one important thing here is just the idea of kindness, which it has been feeling like a very unkind world for quite some time here. And I think uh, the coronavirus crisis, I have started to feel the kindness seeping back into the world in so many ways from so many people in my community and in the world and it's 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 a thing that I think is missing in so much when people ask me like how what's what's the advice you would give to someone who wants you know your job and one of the places I always start is being kind to everyone that you meet and I think that's really important.
2: Yep. Definitely.
0: So that seems like a fine place for us to uh, segue into being kind to uh, our listeners by offering them some recommendations this week. So,
1: Mom, what have you got? Okay, I sent you a link. <coughs> excuse me, which you can put in the in the blog post that goes with this, and it was in the spirit of frugal, which I don't believe is frugal. Doesn't mean not spending money. To me, frugal means using everything. Um, And it's an article from the New York Times called How to Freeze Just About Anything. And I think that it's the idea that you can find ways to use things because being frugal to me means understanding what this item will do what the chemical composition is or what, you know, the flavor profile, if it's food, what you can do with it is really based on understanding how it works and how it works with the other things you have. So how to freeze just about anything. Very cool. And Lindsay? Well, mine
2: might be kind of lame, but I was kind of stressing out about this because I'd been thinking for a couple of days (laughs) what my recommendation would be. And I'm like, oh, I want it to be really good. But honestly, the thing that I'm going to recommend is the 9 by 12 uh, letter tray baskets from the Dollar Tree. They're, you know, obviously a dollar each. They are so handy for um, I've been been these last couple of weeks with the whole like shut that's our schools have been closed for like a couple of weeks and I've had a really hard time getting creative. I've just had a major case of the blahs and um i will pull together project pieces and put them in one of those baskets and it's just big enough to hold like an eight and a half inch by 11 inch piece of cardstock, um stamp sets you know i can throw pattern paper embellishments things like that and i make these little project kits so and i just kind of like i can stack the baskets up or they fit in a rascog cart and then when I'm like down in my studio, kind of like twiddling my thumbs, looking at the ceiling, can't figure out what I want to do because I've organized everything and I just I just don't know where to go. I will grab one of those baskets and I can create and they're so inexpensive and you can nest them into one another, get a bunch of projects ready when you're not feeling super inspired. And like if you go to a stamp convention and you come home with all sorts of new goodies and then you forget what you bought them for because you had a million ideas when you were at the stamp convention. If you unpack and you put stuff with all the other stuff you plan to use these new products, with um then when you're ready to use them you actually remember what you bought them for and you've got projects ready to go so when you're not feeling inspired you can't think of anything creative to do you've got bam an instant project
0: that's an awesome recommendation thanks Um, So my recommendation is an app, it's free, it's a free app, it's called Libby, L-I-B-B-Y and what it is is it allows you, you log in with your library card number and it allows you access to, um, to take out books from your library essentially. Um, And you don't need a Kindle or anything like that. It works on your phone. It works on your tablet. um, And you can even download magazines. Last night when I had some insomnia, I read a romance novel cover to cover on Libby. I also uh, looked through the latest issue of uh, Cards and what is that UK card making magazine? I can't even remember the name of it anymore, but you have access to hundreds of magazines, all sorts of stuff. So, and it's of course all free. So that's a really, that's a good app.
2: Oh, that's great. And we have cloud library and there's also, um, Oh shoot. There's one more cause different libraries use different.
1: Yeah. Different we apps. have hoopla here.
0: Hoopla. I think hoopla is only for audio. No, no,
1: no okay and you can
0: watch movies on hoopla mm. well there's overdrive. so much That's free content one. overdrive okay yep. well if you want to uh use your local library even when you can't go in there are lots of ways for you to do it i keep wishing that i had taken out a bunch of books from the library before the um, shutdown happened because then you could just keep them forever without any late fees <laughs>
2: Our library got rid of late fees to encourage more people to come, so that was always that oh, great because really? I was a repeat offender. Oh, yeah. I was a wicked repeat offender, so that was really nice. They actually have a guilty jar, so if you feel guilty because of, you know, your bad library borrowing ways, you can throw a couple bucks in there.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to go to the library in Maine and never pay my late fees. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Lindsay, where can people find you online?
2: Well, if you want to take a class, you can find me at com. If you want some, well, if you want thousands of free painting and crafting tutorials, you can visit me on YouTube, youtube.com slash frugalcrafter or thefrugalcrafter.wordpress.com is the blog if you prefer a uh, photo reading experience. Um, and well, those, those are the, the main places, I think.
0: And, and mom, people can find you looking for a mailbox, I assume. Exactly. <laughs> one day I'll find one that actually works. It'll be great. And as always, you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us an email or leave a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on Facebook or Instagram, and that helps other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.